But that night, I heard a band that for me redefined the word rock and roll. I remember being knocked out by their, their exuberance, their raw power, and their punctuality. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's the show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. <clears throat> Pardon me, this is episode number 139 and my guest this week from launching the pilot is Brian. And Brian, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, it's, it, I just should, it's, it's one o'clock in the morning here, <laughs> just, just, just so you know. You are a champ. <laughs> For staying up late to do the show with me, uh, I appreciate it more than you know. And uh, and and the movie that we watched this week, you had never seen it before. This is Spinal Tap. I've seen clips, I've seen bits. I know it goes up to eleven. <laughs> I've never seen the whole thing. So, how are are you a fan? Let, let's start first. Are you a fan of this style of film? This kind of um, fake documentary, I guess, would or mockumentary. Um, because I know it's oh, a, it's oh, a, it, it's kind of a, I don't want to say, oh, it's an acquired taste in terms of like films, I feel like. I, I think when it's done well, it's, it's, it comes across really well, but uh, when it's done badly. <laughs> it is, there is no middle ground, right? There isn't like a, well, yeah. that was okay for a mockumentary. No, it's either, it's, they're either great or you're right. They're, they're just terrible. Um, how how was it that uh, you had not seen this one? Did it just not kind of pop up on your radar? Is it not really in your in your lane much? Or well, obviously with with the history of uh, Judy Chadwick and, and what she'd done, I, I thought I'm never going to watch this because of her and what she'd done to people. But you know, I, I did venture draw. Excellent. Um, I'm making that up. I, I just pulled that <laughs> name randomly out of the cast list. I I'm nothing against her. Okay, okay, <laughs> you had me. Pe- people, uh, people had said to me oh it's a really good film and maybe they just hype it up too much and i thought it's sort of gone past that time where i would have watched it and i thought i'm not gonna watch it now because or maybe i would watch it but i've never sought it out i've never okay yeah that okay i can i can go with that that makes sense especially given i mean this movie came out in 1984 and um so that's a that's quite a while to go and at some point you sort of hit that moment where you're like do i really want to like search this one out because how could it possibly live up to the hype that people give for it? Right. This is cited as one of the the top comedies of all time. Um, I actually just talked about it a couple of weeks ago uh, when we were doing another of this same style of movie, what we do in the shadows, which is that same mockumentary style. And in the discussion about that, we found out that this was ranked as the number one um, cult classic of all time by I think entertainment weekly or something. So, you know, take that with a a grain of salt, but, um, so it's one of those where it can be tough because it can be hard to, to think, how is this going to live up to the, the sense of sort of hype that surrounds it, but also it isn't a, it's not a comedy that you're going to sit there and belly laugh throughout. Right. Like that's not the type of humor that it, that it brings to the table. Um, and also, I don't know if it's the same in America as it is here. It's never really shown. It's never shown on TV or it's not even on any streaming platform over here. I couldn't find it anywhere to watch. You know, I, I don't I don't know. 
if it's available, how available it is over here. I know that I I owned it. I bought the DVD for it years ago, but I had seen it when I was young um, and just kind of fell in love with that. And I, I like Christopher Guest uh, as well and, and a lot of his, um, whether it's Best in Show or uh, A Mighty Wind, Waiting for Guffman. He does a lot of these very improvisational things. And um, Amy in our chat is pointing out that Christopher Guest hates the term mockumentary. I can get that because... <laughs> it does sort of feel like a derisive term in a, in a way. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't uh, be viewed that way because I don't find, like, I, I love improv humor, but improv humor is uh, very, like, even more selective, I think, than a lot of other humor because it's so in the moment um, to kind of get to. And what makes this work for me, what makes this movie something that I really enjoy watching and can actually watch multiple times is... This was improv humor of these these people just diving into the roles and really like going for it. So the way it was um, constructed was it was shot exactly like you would shoot a documentary. So they just ran the cameras and then made the movie up in the edit. Yeah, and I think that comes across, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, as as I watched it and after I watched it, I, I sort of dived down the rabbit hole a little bit mm-hmm. and found out that. They didn't really uh, script anything. That it's just, but what they did do is have little histories of, yes. of each each member and each character to 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 come off of. So they had something to say instead of just dead air thinking, "What well, got to make something up now?" But right. so they knew what the, that bit. Yeah, and and that's I mean that's how improv is going to work, right? You got to have yes. some kind of a framework behind it. You've but got to have something, haven't you? It, it's I mean when you when you see people that are good at improv go at it like this in 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 it's just amazing to watch because i've tried to do improv comedy before i'm terrible at it i will freely admit i am no good at improv comedy especially on the spot stuff and so it just fascinates me to watch people that are good at that and just think about the mental gymnastics they're putting themselves through to like how quick their minds just work oh it's just amazing just it's it's amazing isn't it it's really something to watch and and this was a concept that started in the late seventies. Um, Rob Reiner, uh, Michael McKeon, um, uh, uh, Christopher Guest, and Harry Shearer had kind of come up with this idea. I think it started with Reiner and McKeon, maybe. Um, but then they made this sort of fake band, and slowly over a couple of years, they sort of built up um, the story behind it and all. I did like the the trivia that I read where they were given ten thousand dollars to write a script. And so what they did was they took that money and they made a 20 minute short and basically said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to just improv the whole thing. <laughs> Cause yeah. I don't, what, uh, oh, anyone actually picked it up? I don't know. <laughs> so, oh yeah. We'll run with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. talk about like a flex, right? You're like, here's yeah. 10 grand to, to write the script. And you come back a little while later. So yeah, about that script thing. So we didn't write a script, but watch this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, eighty-four, ten grand was probably a lot of money. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. In movie I mean, <laughs> well, in in the early eighties, I mean, to just to write the script, I'd say that's that's pretty decent. Um, yeah. But it, and and that was another thing was they they petitioned the Writers Guild to let them not have to have writing credits because so much of it was ad libbed and and improved, and the Writers Guild was basically like, now the four of you are going to be credited as the writers. But from what I understand, everyone that was on set, everyone that was involved uh, contributed something, whether it was, um, you know, uh, what, what's his name? Paul, um, 
la 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 la. Why why am I Schaefer? blanking? Yes, Schaefer. When when Paul Schaefer shows up, um, for his small part, they've got Bruno Kirby as the the taxi driver in New York, who I love Bruno Kirby, and that scene is for me is funny just because. He's like trying to insert himself into the conversation. They just slowly roll up the window. Yeah, in he goes up them. so slowly, doesn't it? It's just it's so well timed. So good. <laughs> um, Tony Hendra as Ian Faith, their manager. Uh, I I enjoyed him because he's like genuinely trying to help these guys and trying to yeah. do stuff for them, and none of it works. It's just yeah. one failure after the other, and that's I think what like from a story standpoint, what I enjoy about it so much is. You just see everything slowly unraveling, and none of them really fully understand how bad it is. As the manager, he's sort of he's pl- almost playing it straight, isn't he? Yeah, he really <laughs> is. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, did you catch the two little cameos in the party scene? Uh, I don't know. I if saw you... Billy Crystal. Okay, yeah, that was it. Yeah, uh, uh, for for his like two seconds, and Dana Carvey. Oh right, Dana Carvey was the other mime that he's talking to. Um, and uh, I I love that too. Plus, uh, Ed Bagley Jr. actually played uh, the first drummer in the scene where it flashes back and they're like a Beatles-like band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's Ed Bagley Jr. playing drums for them as uh, Stumpy. Um, <laughs> Which Stumpy was he? He was a Stumpy. <laughs> uh, the first was... Stumpy, yeah. Because um, there's also Stumpy Joe. We can't forget it took over. From oh, right, yeah. <laughs> well, which which one was the one that died in the bizarre gardening accident? Was that Stumpy Joe? But, or I can't remember. That, it was the first one, I think, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Stumpy Joe uh, choked on vomit. Uh, but That's it wasn't, right, yeah. Not his own vomit. Not his own. Not his <laughs> Very own. important. Um, yeah, yeah and, and another thing that makes this movie work so well is not only do the, the actors dive into the characters, um, all of them, and they really just go for it, sheer, um, you know, all three of them are musicians as well. And so it's really them playing uh, the songs. And they, they did a, uh, a tour to promote the movie. They were on SNL in 1984. Um, they've put out they put out a soundtrack album and they've put out a couple of uh, albums since then and some singles and everything like that. So and that lends credibility to it, right? Because now it's not just yeah. actors playing musicians, but it's musicians as actors. I've wrote here that the music music is quite legit. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's good. I remember having uh, having quite a few of the the Spinal Tap tracks uh, and enjoying them. It, I do love the the stories that you'll you'll read. Like Ozzy Osbourne, when he first saw the movie, was quoted as saying he was the only one in the room not laughing because it felt too real. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, who was the other one? I think it was uh, Steven Edge. Tyler. Yeah. Oh, The Edge. Yes. It was, it was serious. My favorite, though, and okay, it's internet trivia, so who knows how true it is? But I want yeah. it to be so true. Is Liam and Noel Gallagher? went to a Spinal Tap concert and it was during the time when Michael McKeon and Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer would open up the, do the opening act as the Folksman, their, their musical act from a mighty wind. (laughs) And apparently Liam was bored with the folk music and Noel had to tell him, no, no, it's the same guys. It's the same actors playing this. And, and he was upset because he thought Spinal Tap was a real band. (laughs) I don't know if that's true, but I want it to be because it sounds like something that could happen. Yeah. And then they had a fist fight in the crowd, you know, because the Gallagher (laughs) brothers. 
Well, that bit sounds very true. So it's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, Fran Drescher shows up for for a small moment in the beginning of the movie. There's a lot of like little um, cameos like that. Even um, we, well, we mentioned Billy Crystal and and um, but Paul Schaefer uh, as well that we mentioned. Like, and I like that. Uh, who was the other one? Um, Fred. Uh, oh, yeah, he worked with them for a bunch of their other movies. He was the air force captain towards the end when they have to yes. play at the air force show. Um, uh, uh, Oh, why name Willard, Fred Willard. That's what it was. Yeah. That scene, by the way, cracks me up because, and that was a nice payoff of a joke they had done earlier where he was showing off all his gear. Um, Nigel was, and he's got his wireless unit, which that was yes. a big thing back in the eighties, right? That that's fairly commonplace. Yeah. Now it was not then. And then, <laughs> Because they're playing in an Air Force base, mm-hmm. suddenly they start picking up the Air Force radio. Oh, yeah. that's a that's a moment that makes me laugh every time because I forget about yeah. it because they set that it's joke a nice up so back. early. It is. <laughs> oh, Angelica Houston was in this too. Oh, I, I, All right. I didn't realize that. I must have must have been a blink and you miss type of a thing. No, I just oh, it, what I enjoy about it is that that real feel to it. It's the the idea that. It's so outlandish and so ridiculous of a premise, and the the characters are so crazy. Yet we've seen in real life rock stars that kind of you could believe these people are. That it just it's works. That, it's, it's all that thing where rock stars they get so big that the trivial things become so important, and that's can throw them all off. Yes. <laughs> Whereas to normal people, that's nothing. You get on with it. But Mm -hmm. to them, it's it's a blinking light going off. (laughs) Yeah, and that's played out perfectly in the scene where um, with the tiny bread. Yes. And the folding of the bread and the folding of the sandwich. Like, you can believe that that conversation could actually happen with somebody who's who's on the road, especially 80s and that that era of excess and everybody. Um, I did like, though, what was kind of nice was they didn't um, they didn't play on the tropes of like they were you know drugged out all the time or no. or anything like that. They're just like kind of dumb. They're just sort of like, <laughs> yeah. and they they're not aware of what they're they're just so unaware of kind of everything around them. Um, yeah, and that's what makes them. I think what it does is it makes them more endearing and it makes you like them, uh, the three of them as characters more. So you follow them instead of if they were doing a bunch of drugs or they were being like overly womanizing or something, being terrible people. It's harder to to enjoy that uh, over time. Right. At at some point, you're just going to check out because you can be like, all right, I don't care about these guys anymore. Um, But meanwhile, you've got, you know, these two that are like they keep building up this relationship between David and Nigel as like brothers. And they've been, they've been friends since nine years old. And, and then when they kick Nigel out of the band or he quits, he's like, yeah, I won't miss him. You know, yeah. whatever it's, it, it'll, I'll miss him as much as I miss anyone else that was in the band. And he's like, I mean, I might feel differently if I wasn't under such heavy sedation, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, there's that great throwaway joke, uh, that just, oh, I, I, I love that. And that's that, um, that thinking quick, that uh, that improv skill, that uh, some people just have. I just like it when they're, they're chatting about the how the band formed, and they come up with all these different band names. They were the uh, with the originals, but mm-hmm. they couldn't have the originals because there's already a band called the Originals. They had to be the new original. The original changed themselves to something else, and yes. so they couldn't go. Yeah, I thought it's great little setup there. Oh, that was so good. Uh, yeah. They're talking about that, then they go on to talk about like their drummers and. They're listing yes. off all of them. 
also, this was great. So as the band continued um, beyond the movie, they had um, the same uh, drummer who played, R.J. Parnell, who played Mick Shrimpton um, as the drummer. Well, he explodes at the end of the movie. Right when yeah, when he does. And so, but then he was on tour with them, so he had to play his identical twin brother, Rick Shrimpton. Uh, <laughs> and that's the other thing I think I like about this movie is how you've got this this slow descent as everything's falling apart around them, and it's this aging band. And it is a story that we've heard before with like a band holding on too long. And then I like that it, it all ends up on, a, on an up note for them in Japan, and they're back, and yes. they're, they're just having fun. Um yeah. I just ah man, this movie's fun. Have you seen other um of the and and really it kind of Christopher Guest sort of ran with this format uh and Rob Reiner I don't think was as involved, but have you seen some of his other ones like Best in Show? Um No, I haven't. So if you enjoyed this movie, I highly recommend them. Um he's got a, a run of a few of them. Best in Show is about uh like Westminster dog sh- uh dog show people. Um He's got one called A Mighty Wind, which is folk music. Um, and uh, what I like about it is they they definitely dive into and do a lot of research to get accuracy into like sort of the world that they're that they're doing the documentary about, um, much like they did with this. So if you like this movie, I highly recommend those. Um, yeah. So I think you would. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard. You almost believe they must have gone on tour with someone because it's so accurate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, and again, that's the musician part of it. I think maybe yeah. they did know some of those people. Um, yeah, they must have done. <laughs> like, there's no way you could be this accurate about the, the rock and roll life uh, and not. And and we and we haven't talked about Rob Reiner a whole lot. And he's not on camera much, but he no. sort of spearheaded the thing and. Um, Another piece of trivia I really enjoyed was that hat that he wears as the director, sort of the like a U.S. naval hat. Yes, um, yeah. When he was doing Princess Bride a few years later as the director, he wanted um, Mark Knopfler to do the music. And the story goes that Knopfler said, fine, I'll do the music for your movie, but I want that hat somewhere in the movie. <laughs> and they didn't have one. So they had to go out and make another one and like have it hanging on the wall somewhere. And then the story is that Mark Knopfler was like, yeah, I was actually kind of joking about that, but it was cool to see. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I enjoy that. It sounds like you enjoyed this movie. I did enjoy it. Yeah. Excellent. Obviously, uh, Rob Reiner, I'm used to him behind the camera more. Mm-hmm. And then I know he, he does acted in cameos and bits and pieces here and there, but yeah. Oh, sure. And I mean, he got to start acting. He, um, uh, all in the family is kind of his big one where he sort of that was what kind of put him on the map as um, Archie Bunker's son meathead uh, but um, you know he'd been he'd been acting for a while but you're right I, I equate him more with being behind the camera um, the princess bride probably being the big one for me yes. but um, you know stand by me was him um, yeah that's a hell of a movie uh, I forgot he did the sure thing with Cusack <laughs> The year after this, the year after Spinal Tap, <laughs> um, but then like he does, you know, the Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, and then he does Misery, just taking yes. a, a complete left turn. Um, a few good men was him, so he's done some really good stuff. 
Um, some really you associate like, him more with comedy, but I suppose <laughs> he can tip his hand to anything. Can he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and <laughs> that's pretty impressive to be able to do. You know, Stand by Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, and Misery are like in a row movies that he made. Yeah, like yeah, I'm just gonna suppose, try a little bit of everything. Why not? Yeah, I suppose in the industry, you sort of if you do a, a successful comedy, then that's what you're going to be doing from then on. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's true, not only for writers, but directors and actors. Like, it, yeah. you get, you know, pigeonholed. You get typecast. And yeah. um, so it's nice to see when somebody can can branch out and do some other things and, and go in different directions so that they're not, uh, they don't have to be. I like seeing when actors can do that, too. Like, I love um, Christopher Guest, and I think he's a great improv comedic actor, but I know he could do... Um, you, you know, because you see him do stuff, even when he's playing it somewhat over the top as like Count Rugen, but you can see where there's dramatic chops there, right? There's acting chops. Yeah. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. I'm glad that you enjoyed this movie because uh, it's always with a movie like this that has a history and has kind of that buildup. I always worry because I found the more I show people movies that they haven't seen before, or the more movies that I see for the first time, the more I kind of realize how much our expectations play into the experience of watching a movie. Yeah. And so it, it always worry. It's, it's always a little bit worrying. Like I saw for the first time this past year, the Shawshank redemption. Um, I had never watched it all the way through. I, I knew of it. I'd seen clips, but much like you and spinal tap, I just hadn't seen it. And I, so I was a little bit worried that like, there's no way this can live up to the hype that people have given it for the last, however many years. And it did. I was blown away by it. But but there's always that worry. There's always that worry that a movie's going to be too much, too hyped up, and then you watch it and you're like, I don't see what all the hype was about. And that, that sullies it and that colors it and it makes you think, well, maybe this movie isn't that good. So I'm yeah. really happy I, that you enjoyed it. When you talk about the Shawshank Redemption, it just reminds me that uh, I actually come to that movie late as well. I thought... A, a film set in prison about these two guys. This sounds really depressing. I'm not going to watch this one. Right. <laughs> and so I didn't come to it till later in, <laughs> as well. And, you know, it, it's it's really good. Um, yeah. Because it's not what you're expecting it to be. And I think that can help, too. I don't think, yeah. like, there's no way to describe exactly what This Is Spinal Tap is about. It's about uh, a, an aging rock band. But it's not. It's also, like these guys that are just completely out of touch with reality, but yet they're so good at their music, but nobody's listening to them anymore, yet they're f able to fill smaller arenas. Because one of the things that this movie does is it has the musical um, numbers uh, sprinkled in there. But as they go, like they're still doing a great job on stage. The crowds keep getting smaller and smaller <laughs> yeah. um, until they're playing at an Air Force base or a, a puppet show. Um Opening, which I get second billing to. Yeah, they get second billing to the puppet show. That's that's even better. I love that little detail. Yeah, just you know. there are so many of those in this movie too. There's so many of those things. When you watch it again, you'll catch so much more that you're like, oh, I didn't notice that the first. I was finding stuff this watch through that I hadn't noticed before, and it was cracking me up. Uh, and it was, it's just all these little tiny things. Um, I never really paid attention to the fact that in the song Big Bottoms when they play that on stage, all three of them are playing bass guitars. There's no, <laughs> a, there's no um, guitar in there at all. And I kind of want to like listen to that song on a really good sound system just to feel the bass in it. 
but you got the song has got this these ridiculous lyrics about uh, his girlfriend with a with a huge butt, but the song is also all bottom heavy notes and it's all bass related <laughs> oh. notes. So it's like layered. There's music jokes in there along with just the ridiculous lyrics. Um, I love how Nigel is like this guitar virtuoso but yet he's constantly like smacking his gum as he chews it and uh writes uh writes songs with like just the most ridiculous titles ever but then he'll come out and play like classical music in the uh in the guitar solos which is something that you do um find in a lot of metal acts uh a lot of oh, metal yeah, the, and classical indulgent guitar yes. solos that they just Five, ten minutes, you're thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> and that was another one of those where there was a little poke at Led Zeppelin when he pulls out the, yeah. the violin and he's using that because I know Jimmy, I remember Jimmy Page would use a violin bow occasionally. Um, <laughs> you also had, like, fun stuff like the, the – one of the moments that uh, most people remember from the movie uh, is Stonehenge. Yes. And what makes the Stonehenge things funny is it's a blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment – where the joke is given away right away yes. when he's drawing on the napkin. If you're not paying enough attention, you'll miss the fact that he writes 18 and he does the two line, uh, for, for inches. Um, yeah. but it's such a brilliant payoff then. And yeah. like, I love the scene because you've got, uh, Ian who is just so excited about what this thing looks like as, as he's thinking it's the mock-up and yeah. it's not. And, <laughs> <laughs> then it's just cut to them doing the song and you're like, Oh, Oh, how's this going to go? <laughs> it's just so, ah, oh, it's so brilliantly done. And I learned recently, um, that Tony Hendra who played Ian actually admitted in his memoir that he attempted suicide the night before the first day of filming of this movie. <laughs> um, and he credits the joy he experienced making this movie with bringing him back from his depression. That's amazing. Um, yeah. and, that's kind of again that the that improv that comedy that that art um it's great to see that that happened because he's he is brilliant in this movie i love uh ian faith that character is just cuz he's he is so dead set on making sure that these three guys are happy with what's going on while everything's crumbling around him like you know he's got to think this is just a mess when the when the records show up and they're all black and he's just trying so hard to make them understand that it's a it's a good thing. Um, uh, <laughs> which I, I would see the other cover. What's the other cover? <laughs> right, yeah the the other one for smell the glove or uh, yes. <laughs> oh, such great um, album names too. Uh, what was yeah, yeah. the the one was like the sun never melts I think or something. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so good. But again, like it's it's a testament to the people involved that put the time and effort into just film this like a documentary, which isn't the way you would think to do that. If you were making this thing, like you would write a story, you would have kind of a framework. And even if you're going to, to ad lib everything, you still have like a framework and you build off that. They were just like, now nah, we're just going to ad lib a bunch of stuff and, and go. And I guess the DVD, the Blu-ray when it came out had something like 68 minutes of alternate cuts and, and outtakes. <laughs> That's insane. That's almost as long yeah. as the movie. This movie's only 82 minutes long. And they yeah. had 68 minutes just of stuff they put on the Blu-ray. So you have to you have to wonder how much footage they shot. Yeah. Props to the editor. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. That's some long nights working uh, editing yeah. that stuff if you're trying to cut all that down. 
but it's it makes for I think a more compelling documentary because it feels real at that point. You're you're basically yeah. making a documentary. You've just created the characters that you're putting into it, but you're not creating the story first. You're letting the story come out of the the improv. And that's I think what makes this work for this style of movie over the, the like we talked about at the top of the show, the poor versions of it. Um yeah. Where they're trying to you you know you're trying to shoehorn in the jokes that you want and the the story beats that you want instead of just letting things happen organically and then figuring it out after the fact. They've um, got a script and they're going to stick to it. And right. It doesn't matter if it's not really working. <laughs> right. Exactly. This is like no, we're just going to go in whatever direction we go in and whatever happens, that's what's going to be our yeah. movie and th- it's better for it. That's why thirty almost forty years later, this is still funny yeah. and still enjoyable to watch. So. I mean, they must have just when it started filming, just keep filming and just see yeah. where it ended up. <laughs> and to think doing that at that time too. So that's a thing to think about because today, making this style of movie in that format would be a lot easier because your cameras can go for as long as they've got a battery, and yeah. you can set them up to hot swap out batteries and do all this kind of stuff. Back then, it was a film camera, so they had yeah, you know how however long your film cans and your, your reels are that's how much time you could shoot. And then you got to stop and reset everything and set it all back up. And they're doing it all handheld. Um, so those handheld cameras held less film and yet they still mention do it. And Amy brings up in chat, the cost of film too, how much yeah. film they had to like, I, I'm curious how much of the budget went just to film for this because it had to have been a, a large portion of the roughly two and a half million dollar budget to make this movie. Um, yeah. And it wasn't like it was a huge smashing hit. I mean, it was. It didn't have a huge release. I think it made just under five million uh, in its box office, yeah. which isn't great, um, no. even for a, a, a less expensive movie. But it had legs and it kept going. So that's what works. Um, but I'm I'm really glad that you you took you were able to watch this and yeah. and you know kind of get something out of it. it does this make you want to watch other um, Christopher Guest style or this this style of movie, do you think? Or do you think it's kind of a one and done for you? I think the only problem is that obviously this is where it started from. Mm-hmm. And anything, copies of style is going to be less than, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. But maybe, maybe I will. <laughs> I, think, I think too, it all depends on the subject matter. You know, if, if yes. like... Like best in show, I'm not a huge like dog show person, but that movie cracked me up because the characters in it are just yes. on just just out there. You've got Christopher Guest. That one has Catherine O'Hara um in there who is brilliant. Um if you've yes. watched Shits Creek, she's amazing in that and it's got Eugene Levy and Fred Willard. Um that one's really good. Uh Jennifer Coolidge. And uh so I, I definitely I highly recommend Best in Show. Um, if you like folk music, I think a mighty wind's a pretty good one. Um, but there, that's, I think also a good, a good thing is that they didn't try to, they didn't try to recreate this as spinal tap. They didn't try to go back to that. Well, they're like, well, we'll take the formula, the, the base idea of what we did here. And we're going to put it into a, uh, a different area, a different yeah. section. Um, and that's really smart and not only creatively because it keeps it from feeling stale, but also, um, it makes it so you don't have that same expectation 
uh, when you're watching Best in Show, you're not thinking of it in terms of like this is Spinal Tap in the same yeah. way. So I think that kind of helps. Have um, you ever seen the uh, Bad News on tour? It was a TV show, uh, Comic Strip Presents in England, and they did one about a, a, a band going on tour for the first time in a mockumentary style. Uh, it came I, out in 1983. <laughs> really? But it's only half hour long, and it's obviously very scripted. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I feel like that's familiar, but I have not seen it. Um, but that's funny that that was like just before that. So it was 83. Yeah, I think they were both in production at the same time. But Most obviously with a, a TV show, which is only half hour, it's a quicker turnaround. I yeah. think that's why it came out first. That's the only reason. It weren't like they copied them or they copied them. Right. It's just it, they're, all, they're both done at the same time. <laughs> so, well, we but, had um, seen, I mean. It well, might be on the YouTube. Well, I did watch it on there myself. <laughs> I'll have to ch- myself. I'm going to have to look for that because um, yeah. that sounds interesting. You know, it's not like this. Uh, this idea was, you know, wholly original. I think it was just distilled down and done, done probably the best that I've seen in any way in this Spinal Tap. But we had, and I, I shouldn't say we because I, I don't think I was quite old enough yet. But there had been like rock documentaries prior to this movie too. Um, I wonder when the Russell's come out. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Okay, so here's a here's a question for you. Better fake band from movie or TV show? Spinal Tap or the Monkees? Because, I mean, you know, I think musically I have to probably say Spinal Tap. However, the Monkees have some songs that I really enjoy, so. Yeah, they've got some really good tunes there. They, they certainly do. I mean, I know, I know there's, I know there's some folks out there that aren't big fans of the Monkees, but I can remember watching no. them growing up, and I loved it. I loved it growing up as well. I, I watched it uh, quite a lot. <laughs> um, I would. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here's a here's a question. Uh, what do you think of making the band be a British rock band, but it's three Americans that are playing the characters? Yeah. Well, I should be offended, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> they do how so offended? Well. How offended are you? I guess would be the better question. <laughs> yeah. They do though. Yeah. They. I think yeah. they they actually pull it off fairly well. Try to do fake fake offend. Like I'm really offended. Yes, like, there you go. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Bit, of, bit um, of drama. Damn them. Damn them Americans. <laughs> Think they could come over here. Pardon <laughs> <No. coughs> um, me. I think. I think it, again. It just works because they they went like almost method in their acting and staying yeah. in character. And so I, you know, I I don't. I knew Michael McKeon wasn't uh, English um, prior to seeing the movie. So. That didn't do it, but I I always think of Christopher Guest that way, and then I realized no, he he has dual citizenship, but he was born in the U.S. Um, yeah. And I think it's because I only ever think of him from like this and um, Princess Bride when I think of Christopher Guest, and he kind of has an accent in both. So I mean, after I watched it, I, I watched a, a few bits of them interviews and stuff, and I thought, oh wait, that's the Better Call Saul guy, that's Chuck. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I, I, That's I never, right. When I was watching it, I didn't realize at all. I know he's a lot younger, but yeah. Right. I, mean, um, I also liked how they would have uh, have them doing um, voiceover stuff in other parts of it, like when they when um, Derek Smalls brings them into to hear their kind of folksy song on the radio. 
that's Harry Shearer doing the radio announcing afterwards, talking about uh, the, you know, oh, they're in the where are they now file. And um, the the scene in the airport uh, where they're going through the metal detector, yeah. you hear all the announcements that are going on in the airport behind it. That's McKeon and Guest and, and Shearer doing the uh, airport announcements <laughs> too, which was another one of those really funny scenes because they made such a point of, of pointing out Derek Smalls and then he pulls out the cucumber wrapped in tinfoil. <laughs> yeah. Which, which, back then, you probably could have got away with that joke at the airport, but, but now right. they've just wrestled you to the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, how how lax was that airport security where they're just all standing around while But he's they pulling. were like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I remember. Uh, yeah. I, it's, it's crazy to think uh, that wasn't that long ago, yet it was well over 20 years ago now, which is yeah. oof, weird. Um, do you have a favorite member of uh, Spinal Tap of the three of them? Did any one of them kind of uh, stand out to you more? Not really, no. I, I think um, it's the balancing of all of them that makes it work. You can't really, it wouldn't work without any of them missing, I don't think. That's, I, I like that. I yeah. And it's because you've got, I love the interview with Derek Smalls where he's talking about, um, he's like, David and Nigel are, are such visionaries and, they're, but they're, they're they're total opposite visionaries, like fire and, and ice. And so I have to be there to be the calming influence, like lukewarm water. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's such a good, uh, a good joke. Um, and I, I just loved the, the joke of paying off the whole thing with the drummers um, at the very end of it too. Because you had earlier when, uh, Marty DeBerge, um Rob Reiner is at, is talking to the one drummer as he's taking a bath. He's like, "Do you do you fear for your life knowing the history <laughs> of the drummers in this band?" Um, oh, it's so good. Phil in the chat brings up it instantly reminded me of the Pretenders. I thought, <laughs> yes, oh yes. Uh, Phil in the chat brings up he thinks Derek Smalls is the funniest. Nothing trumps him getting trapped in the pot. That's a funny one. That's that great. Is really good. What they have to, such elaborate uh, stage sets of things, and I thought it was so funny it didn't open it just... until the very end, and then he gets stuck in it trying to get back in. Um, yeah, I also, this is all cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the um, the bit where they're they're going to stage from their dressing room and they get lost yes, and yeah. they can't find their way there. Oh, that's so good uh, because again, that's one of those where you can tell it was like they didn't actually know where they were going for that. Yeah for that whole scene. So they're just making it up as they go. Like it's brilliant. It's so, uh, this movie, I really recommend it to people again, as I said earlier, it's not a like belly laugh. Like you're going to laugh hard watching this because it's not that type of humor. It's there's no, there's no real slapstick to it. There's not a lot of physical humor, but what you're going to get is you're going to get these jokes that just like stick with you. You, you, you're going to be thinking about afterwards. Like why did he keep folding the bread? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like well, you can fold this. Well, yeah, but then you have to. And it's like, no, you know, you don't. And and just that running over and over, or the whole thing where he's going over all his different guitars, is another yeah. one of those scenes that's just great when he's discussing all of them. He's got the one with the tag still on. He's like, no, don't touch yeah. it. Don't <laughs> even, don't even point at it. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, the famous that go to eleven. Eleven, yes, which is uh, famous. <laughs> famous without me even seeing the film i knew that bit (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's a well-known one that one's been around for a while um but it it again testament to the the longevity of the jokes in the show there there are jokes in here that you don't even have to see the movie and you understand what it is and where it came from 
Um, yeah. And and I dig that. I did capture a couple of audio clips. I want to play a couple of them because they, yeah. they make me uh, laugh every time. Uh, the Billy Crystal's one line in the movie, um, and it, again, it's one of those blink and you'll miss it cameos. And this is 84, so this is a young Billy Crystal still. Um, but it was just... Mime is money. Let's go. <laughs> Mime is money. <laughs> um, I... Of course, he's, he's best known for soap, isn't he? So... Uh... Yeah, exactly. I think he's done some other stuff since, but a few, a couple things here and there. He did some movie with, uh, um, uh, oh, what was it, uh, like cows and and cowboys, yeah. I think, something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I plays Drifter. Yeah. yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, this I know was, all about these film things. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this was um, the the director Marty DeBerge, which also cracks me up because you've got um, Marty DeBerge is like. Martin Scorsese, I think Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, and some other director. Like they mashed all those names together and came up with Marty DeBerge. Um, talking to the drummer. Given the history of Spinal Tap drummers uh, in the past, do you have any fears uh, for your life? <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh so much, but it's just his delivery of that. Like any fears uh, for your life? Um, He's playing the odds. He's all right. <laughs> yeah, definitely is. I mean, you know, he's playing with house money and more power to him. Um, this I had to capture just so I have it on a soundboard to use at some other point, and it's just shit sandwich. <laughs> that was the review. That yes, was one word review. Two the two-word review. Two review. The greatest yeah. review ever. I wonder if um, if that's where. Probably not, but I, I I wonder if South Park, when they use that joke or use that descriptor, if that's where they got it from. Um, probably not, but who knows? Uh, this was all three of them talking about one of their drummers. The, the, the official explanation was he choked on vomit. Was actually he uh, away. It was actually someone else's vomit. <laughs> you can see he came up with that just at that moment didn't yep. he yes <laughs> yes <laughs> he, he just ah oh, i love that um i got a couple of david st hubbins lines um uh this one i mentioned earlier well i'm sure i'd feel much worse if i weren't under such heavy sedation <laughs> that's one that would have if if i were filming uh, that scene that would have broke me. Like I would have broke character at that point and started laughing. I wouldn't have been able to help. I, th- I think I've got to use that one at work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Report back. Let me know how that goes. Um, the name St. Hubbins uh, was, uh, came up in the end credits. And I love, I do love when, and this is the perfect type of film for that because you know how much footage they've got. So yes. they have playing over the end credits, just more interviews and more of them talking. He was the patron saint of quality footwear. <laughs> I want to find outtakes and see how many different things he was the patron saint of that they ended yes. up going with quality footwear because uh, this is a line I've actually used several times myself. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Because <laughs> it's true. Boy, is it true. Well, you're on Twitter. You know that one is true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and one more David St. Hubbins line. I do not, for one, think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. And that whole scene, because we we as the audience have seen the Stonehenge thing, 
And so you, you're kind of like anticipating, you know what the joke is going to be, but it's still, it's like, it's even funnier when you're seeing it descend from the ceiling. I love the, they're so straight on the build up to that as well. Yes. Oh, and then they have the, the two little people come out and start dancing around it. And it's just like, (laughs) Oh, what is going on? So good. And, uh, and I had to get a couple of Nigel's because again, it's, it's Nigel. He's, he, I think Christopher Guest, Nigel Tufnell is my favorite um, character in this movie just because he's so blissfully unaware of anything around him. Um, And it's just like this. These go to 11. He's so proud of that. Um, Yes. Or uh, they'll make 10 louder. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's he's like, he can't, he can't process. He can't comprehend that thought. Yeah, but these go to 11. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Again, talking about their drummers. It's tragic, really. He exploded on stage. <laughs> Just casually that mentioned Peter that. James Bond, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, again, the, the sort of blissful, uh, blissfully unaware nature of, of the character of Nigel when they're talking about the album cover and how they can't do the album cover with uh, that they want for Smell the Glove. And someone tells him it's sexist, and his response is, "What's wrong with being sexy? I mean, there's no sexist. <laughs> he just doesn't. He can't process that. Yeah. Um, this is another one I've used uh, before, and and I also I wonder if Metallica got the idea for the Black Album from this. I I want to say that they did. I I doubt it, but I want to say that they did because how much more black could this be? And the answer is none. <laughs> none." None more black. I like that it's completely black. There's no writing. Yes, nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. Nothing on the spine. It's just a black, black, black. Oh, that uh that also reminds me It's glossy though. Yes. (laughs) It 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 also reminds me of the joke from uh Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um where they had there's a moment in that where they get into a ship and the ship is all black and the console is black and it has a black button that lights up black. And like so that's, it always makes me think of that. And finally, that, that's a that's a rock band ship as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was actually. You're right. Yeah. Um, and finally, because well, of course, I was going to capture this. We've got you know armadillos in our trousers. I mean, it's really quite frightening the size. Armadillos in our trousers. Uh, th- this movie is a ton of fun. I think that's really yes. what it boils down to. It's fun. It's not mean spirited. They're, the the issues that they have in the band are never like uh, these personal attacks or these angry, mean spirited things. It's just like dumb. It's all dumb. Yeah. They're they're silly, dumb characters, but they're like they're lovable at the same time because they're just not mean people. And that's what makes me enjoy and come back to it. Yeah, I mean, when they fire their manager, um, <laughs> I thought I thought oh they're they're going for a, a classic Yokohono sort of joke mm-hmm. here and. But it wasn't really. No, because she was she was actually like trying really hard. Yeah, she was, she, she, she was getting it together, getting their tickets and sorting them out. <laughs> yeah, she was getting their tickets. She was getting them food. She was booking them shows. I mean, yeah. that was another good one was as they go, you know, not only are they, A, getting smaller and smaller venues, but they're moving to smaller and smaller towns. Um, But also like. Yeah, the the Boston gig was canceled. Ah, it's not a big college town. Don't worry about it. And then next thing you know, they're in Milwaukee, and then they're in like, uh, when he's on the phone with his girlfriend, uh, David is, and he's talking about, yeah, we're playing here and here in Des Moines. Um, 
you know, I think it's somewhere in, in uh, what does he say, uh, Illinois. And it's like, well, it's Iowa, but, you know, I get it. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's just, it's it's so funny the way everything devolves uh, until they're playing at a, uh, at a what, what was it, at the Air Force Base? It was like the, um, they're letting their hair down or whatever uh, type thing. Um, I just, I loved it. They're lovable idiots, yes. They're, they're, that's, Phil's right. That's what makes this fun to watch and and something that you can come back to and watch and honestly there's not a lot of like humor that you couldn't share with just about anybody because yeah if you're if the joke is there's some there's some raunchy jokes but they're so subtle that they can fly right past you and you never even notice i don't need any naked women on screen or anything no. like that I thought, oh, it's going to be one of them type of things at the beginning. They have groupies and stuff, but right. no, it's all played. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even like the language wasn't even that bad in it. There's no. a f- there's a couple of f bombs dropped, but nothing horrid. Like, it's impressive that they were able to pull that off. And again, that's a credit to the four of them as as improv artists and collaborators and bringing in people that. And you could tell some of the people that were, I think, more comfortable improving than others. Um, yes, for sure. But what that does is that makes it feel more realistic. That makes it feel more yeah. authentic to like real life. So I appreciate that too. Um, Have you heard um, Michael McKinnon's uh, story? He was telling that he was at an airport, and he heard this. There's this there's a group there. They're talking, and one of them says, "Where's your base?" And the other goes, "I left it at the airport." <laughs> he goes, "Why you why why did you leave it at the airport?" He goes. I don't know. I don't know where it is. He goes, well, you said you left. And he goes, it goes on for 15 minutes. He goes, it's a conversation about where the base is. Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, that's awesome. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I honestly, if you haven't seen this movie before, do yourself a favor. Find it. Watch it. Um, you can rent it, I think, in the U.S. at least. I know it's rentable on, on all your major streaming services. Um, or I'm sure there's other ways you can find to watch this movie. Um and, <laughs> yeah, honestly, but and 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 also the music. The music is legitimately good. Um, yes. The songs are fun. They're catchy, um, and and they just they make you want to hear more. Like it, this movie did have to come. I can't remember which country it was. It was Norway or Finland. The version that they released there actually had a crawl at the beginning that said, "This is not a real band. It's a fictional oh. band." Um, <laughs> And to me, that's when you know you're doing something right. Uh, I think somebody had come up to Rob Reiner after the movie premiered and told him that uh, it was a great movie, but he they wished he'd have gotten a more well-known band to do the documentary about. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, everyone should go out and just listen to Lick My Love Pump now. Yes. And, uh... <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's really, really good. Now, now um, Brian, you do a show called Launching the Pilot, right? Yes. All right. So, what's that show about? Let people know what that is and where they can find it. Uh, I do an unsuccessful podcast called Launching the Pilot, which uh, I, I just review the first episode or the pilot episode of any show I can find. It's mostly sci-fi because I like that. <laughs> but, Fair enough. But I will vary off. That's um, that's interesting because pilots oftentimes don't capture the full feeling of a show. I uh, found they're sometimes very terrible. Oh boy. Um, it's sometimes <laughs> even the, shows I like, <laughs> right? Shows that lasted a long time. You watch the pilot and you're like, how did this make it? Um, yeah. 
So it's pretty impressive. That's cool. Um, well, they changed the whole cast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, oftentimes you get one or two people, but I've seen I've seen it where it's been. Well, Star Trek is probably the most famous story, right? Where they they literally did a second pilot. Um, so launching the pilot. So you, you review and and that's it. You just do pilots. You don't do yeah, you, you don't else. follow up on them or anything. Okay, for, 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 I did Highway Man twice, but. I didn't have the pilot originally. I had the first episode. So I've done that two times. <laughs> That's it. All right, fair enough. That's the exception. And where where can people well, it's find... It's got the visible chuck in it. Why wouldn't you do it twice? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. Um, where can people find the show? Uh, any podcast app, I believe. I, I, I don't know whether... It goes everywhere, it seems to be. I, I don't keep track of it. <laughs> fair I, enough. I, I should say, I do the show just for me, me alone, to stop me going crazy. But, that's um, that's the best reason to do a show, yeah. if I'm honest, because what it's going to give is is going to give uh, a real a real version of of what you're thinking about on the show. So that's that's cool. And you know, honestly, soon, another podcast. I'm, I'm doing another one as well. Oh yeah, uh, a, a viewing every murder she wrote episode. Um, but I'm having difficulty with my co-host. Uh, she won't be in the same place as me ever. And oh, really? Even though I'm married to her, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> get her off to go. <laughs> oh, that's uh, murder. She wrote though. Good, good stuff. Yes. Um, yeah, my wife realised I'm not watching it ironically. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, dissension in the ranks. Yeah. Well, excellent. Launching the pilot. So definitely check that out. It's good stuff. Brian, you have been wonderful. Thank you so much for being on. Um, I'm glad to be here. Privileged and- to be on. And thank and you for staying. To watch up. a film that I hadn't watched. <laughs> yeah, well, got to got you to do that, and then you were gracious enough to stay up until two o'clock in the morning to talk with me about it. And so I appreciate oh that God. too. I've got to go work. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no. dear. Well, hopefully, hopefully your work, work tomorrow goes well for you. But but honestly, thank you so much. Uh, anytime you want to come back, we can do it earlier in the day um, for you. Um, if you oh, have okay. a, this is probably my best time. <laughs> Excellent. I've been to see the Eternals today. I needed something to cheer me up. <laughs> oh, excellent. oh, there you go then. All right. I saw that last night. Uh, apparently, we had different experiences with it. but No, we... it, was, it was fine. It wasn't <laughs> as bad as I said it was. No, it really wasn't. Excellent. Well, uh, if you want to be like Phil um, or Amy or Ace uh, and hang out in the chat room while I record my show, um, I do it Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S., um, and... Uh, it's at Twitch, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. You can hang out. You can watch the show being recorded. Um, you can yell at me from the chat room or bring up things that I don't think of. Uh, it's always great. I love seeing the chat work in there. The show itself comes out in a podcast form on Wednesdays, and you can get that at tvstravis.com or pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. It's called Wait You Haven't Seen, um, and it's terrible because I put punctuation in there, and it's hard to find. So the TV's Travis is an easier way. If you go to the website, you can find the link to go to whatever podcatcher you want. Um, now, next week, uh, I am talking about, and uh, it's Matthew Sargent is going to be my guest, and we are going to be talking about his first time ever seeing, where is it here? Uh, oh, my first time seeing Moulin Rouge. I've never seen that movie before. Um, and... I don't hate musicals. I love Ewan McGregor, and I hear this is a ton of fun. I didn't dislike Baz Luhrmann's other stuff, um, so I'm I'm kind of excited for this one. So, it's about a giant windmill. <laughs> Spoiler! <laughs> oh no! 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So that's next week. Matthew Sargent is going to be on and we're going to talk about Moulin Rouge. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have some thoughts about this one. So you'll want to tune in if you're, if you're interested at all in that, but until then, until next week, Brian, thank you again. Um, anytime, anytime you, uh, are available and you want to do another one, if you think of something, um, that you haven't seen before or that you want other people to know about, uh, hit me up on Twitter and, uh, and let me know. Um, I am on Twitter at TV's Travis and I will talk uh, to anybody about just about anything. Um, I do a show on uh, Highlander the series, so I love to talk Highlander with people, um, especially. I with... love Highlander the series. <laughs> oh, it's so good, and yeah. um, and especially with the rumors of a, a new movie coming out at some point uh, soon, we'll see. What about the Raven? Did you do the Raven? <laughs> Haven't done that yet. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have that in me, but we'll see. Um, the animated series. <laughs> ooh, boy! Now we're really plumbing the depths. <laughs> <laughs> so until then, until next week and, uh, and Moulin Rouge, um, I just want to say to everybody to enjoy your movies and just be, be excellent to each other. All right. This has been way you haven't seen. very much like I'm really influenced by Mozart and Bach and it's sort of in between though it's really it's like a Mach piece really it's, what do you call this well this piece is called uh, lick my love pump diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program <laughs>